Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. All right, how's everybody doing? Y'all good? Can you hear me? Am I on? Check, check. I need to move this thing. Put it on my lip or something? Uh, All right. Hey, I'm Jono, and uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, It's been a while, long time no see, and uh, if we haven't met, uh, I was here, like Jimmy said, from uh, 03 to 05, and are you guys hanging back there the whole time? All right, cool. Hey, everybody. I'm probably going to forget that y'all are back there. So uh, it's good to see you guys, and uh, I've, I've missed a lot of you guys, except Virginia, and um, I really, I'm just kidding, but you know what the first thing she said to me when she saw me this morning was? I hope your preaching's got a lot better since you were here, and so thanks. Miss you too. Hey, I'm going to move these song lyrics, or I'm going to start reading Love Came Down. Is that, am I going to mess up the, the whole day? Okay. All right, cool. Thanks. Um, so, there's so many things I wanted to say to you guys. I mean, I'm sitting here, all kinds of memories, all kinds of faces uh, that, that I remember, all kinds of good things. Um, uh, one thing I want to say is that, um, gosh, actually, there's so much, so, so many good memories. Uh, a couple things. Uh, a lot's changed. I was like 25, 23 when I came here. I'm 33 now. And um, I know, it's hard to believe. I, I, I was 23, and um, we had, when we left here, we had one six-month-old daughter. And yeah, now uh, we have uh, four wonderful children, and then another one. We have another child, too. And uh, they're, they're awesome. And <laughs> they're all like, is it me? Wait, who's, who's, I'm just kidding. I love them all equally, right? And... Uh, we just adopted a son from Ukraine. I'll tell you all about that uh, in just a minute. I do want to say, I mean, I, I appreciate uh, the, the welcome and, and the introduction. That was pretty kind of Jimmy. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was not easy leaving, uh, leaving Palmetto. I mean, we loved, we had close, close relationships uh, here, and, and we missed that. And I, I'll tell you what, I've served um, with, like, five pastors and I remember, I remember when Jimmy was trying to talk me out of leaving. Uh, I had already pulled that, no, I'm called to leave card, so hoping he wouldn't argue with me. The Lord told me, and, and he was like, don't give me that. I need you to stay. <laughs> and uh, I think he offered me, I, I asked for money. He offered some Chick-fil-A coupons or something. <laughs> and uh, you know how he is about money. <laughs> you just... <laughs> um, just kidding, just kidding. Sorry I went there. Uh, uh, but no, he said, I, he said, the last thing was, he's like, you are never, I thought this was pretty arrogant at the time, he said, you are never going to find a pastor easier to work for than me. I was like, whatever. <laughs> well, he was right, okay? There are some duds out there, folks. So... I probably shouldn't have said that. Please don't go on Facebook and look at the past few churches. <laughs> I've served. 
don't do that, okay? There's the great pastors out there. But look, there, I, I, there's no other pastor out of the five I've served with, there's no other pastor that I still uh, ask to go eat lunch with a couple times a year. I still come to Palmetto a couple times a year to eat, um, uh, to eat a gyro at Frank's and, and, and argue about theology and stuff with Jimmy. And, uh, and, and we have a good time. And so I, I don't do that with any other pastor I've served with. And uh, he's right. Yeah, yeah, there's nobody easier to work for. And uh, so um, definitely, definitely miss working with you. But I appreciate you guys uh, having me here. And, um, and I see that you have a youth room now. Uh, we were in a cubicle in the fellowship hall when I was here. <laughs> I'm just getting all this off my chest. Then we can, then we can move on. Uh, the last, the last three weeks I was here, I'll never forget this. The last three weeks I was here, me and a, and a group of guys, uh, a bunch of guys, Zach and Andy and, um, Ryan, Petro, some of these guys, several guys, we tore junk. We must've filled up three or four dumpsters out of what was in the dry cleaner building. And, uh, and, and then I left and then you guys built an awesome youth room, I think. So, uh, you're welcome, Trevor. <laughs> Glad you could enjoy that. <laughs> All right, so let, let me say this. I, I, let, let's back up, and I'll just, what I want to talk about, kind of, I think the best way to introduce it would be to take you, would be like to start back when I was here, because what we're doing now, honestly, began when we were here, and I didn't realize that until we were, I, it really hadn't registered until a few weeks ago, but, so I want to talk to you about what we've been doing the past 10 years, and how we got to where we are, because, yeah, I mean, since 1999, the day after, well, actually, 98, since the day after I graduated high school, uh, I got my first youth ministry position, whatever, and, and I've never done anything else. I don't know how to do anything else, um, except some, a little bit of computer stuff, and I'm not really good, you know, I'm not really good at a whole lot, whole lot of stuff, basically, <laughs> actually, much anything, sports, um, modeling, nothing, I, don't, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not really good. So, you know, back up, I'm, I'm, I'm here doing youth ministry, and... Um, 2003 to 2005, and the first, significant, the first significant interaction that I ever had with a, with a kid or a teenager who didn't live with their family, who didn't live with their mom and dad, was here. When Gary and Renee Wright and Skip and Sharon helped our youth ministry engage with the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. I had never crossed my mind. I'd never done anything with orphans or, or children who are basically functioning as orphans. And so we came here and we got introduced to that and, and we got in, engaged with that ministry. And my problem is, you know, up until then, up until then, really for me, I think orphan care, anything to do with orphans, or foster children, domestic orphans, you know, international orphans, it was, it, it was kind of in my head and I knew they existed and I heard big statistics like there's 147 million orphans in the world, but you know, I, I'd never seen a face I never looked one in the eyes until I came here and engaged there at the children's home. And uh, so God just began stirring that up in our hearts. Then you fast forward a little bit about it. Uh, uh, you fast forward a little bit, and, and we go to Crossroads Church, uh, Walton County. Uh, we actually we live in Monroe now, and, uh, and I actually graduated from Loganville High School, Loganville Friends. So I'm in Claude's every Wednesday if you want to buy me a biscuit uh, every Wednesday morning. Um, just kidding, but I am there 
if you want. So, uh, so we're, serving, we're serving in Walton County at, uh, at Crossroads Church of Walton County. And actually, that's what Zach, uh, Jimmy, son, Jimmy and Amanda's son, was leading worship there with us. And so it was awesome. And, and over the course of those eight years that we were there, <coughs> excuse me, over the course of that time, we met this crazy foster family who had all kinds of foster kids coming in. And they were just... God had his hand on this family because these kids were coming in a wreck and then they were leaving, uh, you know, God was just doing things and these kids were getting saved and they were walking with Jesus and changing their lives and, and it was just good and we were watching that and we were like, dude, how in the world can you just let these kids come live with you? I mean, isn't that like messing up your family? I mean, that's expensive. You can't do as many vacations, you know, and all this stuff. You have all the time having to take them you know, to counselors and doctor's appointments, and, and it's kind of, you know, cramping your style, whatever. And uh, they were like, man, this is, this is our calling as believers. This is what we do. And so in October of 2011, uh, and, and I am a hard sleeper, and my wife Heather is a hard sleeper. And over the, we had been kind of restless for a while, just in general, with life and with ministry and what we were doing, and, and we were starting to engage more and more with, with orphans, and uh, we found out that there are 75,000 refugees in the city of Clarkston, about 30 minutes from here, that Clarkston had been chosen by the United Nations to receive uh, 75,000 uh, refugees from Africa and uh, Southeast Asia from 2008 to 2012. And so we learned that they were there, and we started taking our students over there and, and working with them, and, and our students were engaging, and hearts just started changing. The more we served orphans, the more we served refugees, the more we served widows, the, the ministry just started changing. And our hearts started changing, and we, we had this different filter uh, of the way we looked at things and the way we spent our time. And we just got really restless and doing the same things that we had been doing. And in October 2011, both of us woke up at like 3 in the morning, and that just does not happen, um, unless i got to use the bathroom or something, but that just does not happen. And, and we woke up, and, and we just started talking about how restless we were, and, how, and we started praying. And, and over the course of the next hour, God just kind of laid out this vision, and I'm definitely not a guy who, and, and, and this is okay if you say this, but I'm definitely not someone who's like every week saying that, you know, God just laid it out. God gave me a vision. God gave me a vision. God gave me a vision. I don't, I don't spout that off, okay? So when I say this, that I believe that night God laid out this vision, I don't take that lightly. And he laid that out there, and we, I mean, the next morning we woke up, we had the hope epidemic. We had our strategy. We knew what we wanted to do, and, and we felt like we want to help churches care for orphans. Because as you read the Bible, because o- over this process, you know, we're reading the Bible, and, and like I said, our filter had changed. And so as we're reading through the Scriptures, we're starting to see, and, and we're realizing that there are 2,000 Scriptures in the Bible that, that talk about God's heart for widows, orphans, refugees. And the poor. 2,000 of them. And you can't ignore them. And you can't pass it off as somebody else's calling. And we decided, look, we're not going to start this parachurch ministry and get somebody to give us money so we can go do orphan ministry. We want to help churches. We want to train churches on how to care for orphans. And so from then on, you know, I was still serving in youth ministry. And from that point on... It was kind of just something we did on the side. 
And then in June of 2012, uh, we, we got an offer to go serve at Eagles Landing First Baptist with, um, with Mark from Casting Crowns. He was my youth pastor. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, we, that was an awesome year. It was crazy. And I don't know if, if you're Casting Crowns fans, um, they're, I mean, they're real. You know, they always talk about how they're serving in their church. It's, it's real. Mark, uh, Mark was more engaged as a youth pastor than I was, and he was gone four days a week. But when he was there, he was with students, meeting with students, discipling students. It is ridiculous. Those guys are the real deal. So go buy their CDs. But, um, and, and it didn't hurt having Casting Crowns for your praise band on Wednesday night. That helped attendance um, and the budget. But, I, you know, it, for that year, I mean, we, it, it, honestly, and I don't say this arrogant because, I mean, I just walked away from it, okay? Um, <clears throat> but everything that I daydreamed about as a 19-year-old youth pastor <laughs> with, like, a $20 budget and six kids in the youth group, everything I daydreamed about, you know, there when I went to Eagles Landing, it was all there, you know, interns, budgets, secretaries, praise band, all that stuff, and um, we were still restless. We, still, we believed God wanted us to go there, and he taught us some things, and he clarified some things. But then in, we're, we're feeling restless, and, and throughout this process, we're adopting, um, we're adopting a kid whose name was uh, Victor at the time. Is now, now his name is Sawyer. And we're going through that process. And uh, we're walking through these orphanages in Eastern Europe with no lights on, and these kids are eating stuff, nasty, nasty stuff. And it's, it's scary, and these kids, I mean, it's like Lord of the Flies in there. And um, we go there, and we're taking trips to see him, and, and the more we're there, the more restless we become in our pretty comfy, cozy, American, upper-middle-class life. And so, back in March the board of directors of the Hope Epidemic came and said, hey, look, we think we can, um, we think we can pay half of your salary. I'm like, well, that's neat. But it turns out I have five kids and need a whole one. Uh, I need a whole salary. My kids seem to enjoy living indoors and eating. And then, um, so about this time, about this time where they're throwing this at me. Two, I don't have any other skills, really. I mean, if, it's not, if it wasn't ministry, you know, I'm like biggie-sizing stuff, okay? And these two jobs, crazy, crazy jobs drop in my lap. One, I'll give you a, um, a quick rundown uh, just so you can see how God works things out, okay? One job, this guy got hit by a drunk driver in 2008 He's now in assisted living, but he won a lawsuit because it was a um, commercial truck that hit him, and so the business paid him tons of money, huge amount of money in a trust fund. So he decided he wanted to pay me to take him to Huddle House three times a week and to the movie and bowling and for a walk. And so for about eight hours a week, he pays me to go bowling and watch movies and eat Huddle House with him. (laughs) Kid you not. I'm sick of the Huddle House. He only eats Huddle House. Not lying. He only eats Huddle House, and it's awful. I mean, it was good the first month, but... 
<laughs> my cholesterol is crazy. Um, and then the second job, and, but then it's like, okay, well, dude, you need insurance. You got five kids. And then I get offered uh, a part-time job, 20 hours a week, working from home, full benefits, working for Apple computers. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. So now what I do, and, hey, and just real quick, because I usually, when I tell that story, I'm like, hey, I work for Apple and, and I take care of orphans. They're like, oh, that's neat about the orphans. So what do you do for Apple? And no, nobody wants to talk about orphans, and I don't want to really talk about Apple. So really quick, if you call Apple for help, if the person you're talking to gets stumped or you're mad, they'll send you to me, okay? And then I'll help you out. So that, that's what I do. Now, um, so what I'm doing now is I'm working for Apple. Uh, I'm doing orphan ministry, and I'm taking Sonny to the huddle house, okay? So that's what I do. <laughs> We are functioning as missionaries, basically. Our goal, our goal is to, I mean, I love Sonny, but our goal is to uh, do complete orphan ministry. And um, because we believe that orphans are not just a cause. Uh, we, it's not like going green or something. It's not like, and because I used to say this, you know, that this group of people, um, you know, they were called to care for orphans, and I was called to youth ministry, and these people were called to this. And, and the more you read the scriptures, the more you see that God has this unique place in his heart for this group of people. And I want to talk about why, and hopefully I, want to, I can convince you that every one of us, if we say that we follow Jesus, there is no way around caring for orphans. Now, I'm not saying you've got to bring one in your house. You teenagers, I mean... Teenager, you're called to care for orphans, but you can't, like, go get one. You know, hey, Mom, this is Vladislav. He's going to be living with us. Um, some of you guys, I mean, you know, it's uh, raising a kid, but, but you could support families who do, you know, whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'll give you some ideas. Uh, real quick, let me show you this. My, my grandfather, uh, I grew up with my grandparents. I grew up with my grandparents, and this, it was a really good thing, and growing up with your grandparents is unique. You know, my, my favorite show at 13 was the Andy Griffith show in Jeopardy. And, uh, and we had meatless dinners, and I loved collards and cornbreads and, and uh, all that stuff. This is my grandfather's chair. And every grandfather has a chair, right? Any grandfathers in here, you have your chair. And beside the chair is his table. And you could strap my grandfather to that chair for six months, and he would survive just fine. Because on his chair, he's got his beverage, he's got his remote, he's got, you know, 47 pill boxes, He's got his phone book back there. Apparently people still use those. He's got his remote. He's got this little box of chapstick and nail clippers and toothpicks. Everything he needs to survive. All the granddads are like, what's wrong with that? You don't have one? You don't mind if I roll up my sleeves? I'm getting a little sweaty. Um, now, what you can't see under, under that, and he's had that table his whole life, my whole life. And what you can't see is that under the chair, under the table, are the good snacks. They don't stay in the pantry. The good snacks, the Cheetos and the chips, are under the table. And if my, little, if my kids, my two-year-old and my four-year-old, if we're over there visiting them, if we can't find the kids... We go look under the table because they're under there with Cheetos, just, you know, just going crazy. 
Now, the Cheetos kind of go, they come in season. Sometimes he likes hot chips. Sometimes he goes for Doritos. Sometimes it's Cheetos. But one thing that remains the same and has since I was a child was cans of cashews. Cans of cashews. And he would eat cashews. And he would hide them. And I would find them and sneak them. Not because I necessarily liked cashews, but they were off limits. And he worked the night shift. He was retired from AT&T, so he took a nap from like 10 to 6. And I would, I would sneak the cashews. And the more I was around Papa, as much as he loved cashews, growing up with this guy who loves cashews and who, you know, you can't buy him a Christmas gift. It's like, what are we getting Papa? Get him some cashews. Hey, it's Father's Day. Get him some cashews. It's his birthday. Get him some cashews. That's all we get him. So now, Papa loved cashews. And I grew up with Papa. I spent a lot of time with Papa. And now I love cashews. There's no way that I can be around someone consistently and not love the things that they love. Unless it's really gross, okay? He loves beets too. But work with me. There's no way, I can't be around someone consistently and not end up loving what they love so deeply. Now, cashews, you know, I know that's kind of a cheesy illustration, but if my heavenly father talks over and over and over about how much he loves orphans and widows and the poor and refugees, the Bible calls them aliens or sojourners, there's no way that he can talk about his love for them over and over and over and me spend time with him consistently and not love them like he does. Does that make sense? You with me? I can't consistently spend time with him and not love what he loves. If someone we care about loves something, we end up loving it too. James 1.27. You guys have heard this verse. James 1.27. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. I think it's on the screen. Let me just read this to you. Look at there. James 1.27. Religion, or you could exchange that for worship. Kind of the same deal there. In fact, worship would probably be a better way to say it. Worship that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So if you're saying, man, I want to be, clo- I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to really show him how much I love him. And I, I'm, I'm going to sing songs and worship him. I'm going to give my money and worship him. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. But I want to up it. I want to get closer. Part of true worship is caring for orphans. Now that's broad. It can look a lot of different ways. And let's real quick while we're here, let's define a biblical orphan. Okay, and I wrote this down. Um, it, uh, an orphan's not just a kid who's lost both parents. In the scripture, an orphan is a child who faces the world without a provider or a protector. So both parents may still be living. They're not with them. Those parents aren't providing. Those parents aren't protecting. That's an orphan. They are functioning as an orphan. And when God sees them, He sees the orphan. And when God looks at the church, He's saying, you need to go do something 
for the orphans. And yeah, they're rowdy. And yeah, they don't say yes ma'am and no ma'am. Because they've never had anybody protecting them or providing for them. So church, fix it. An orphan could have both living parents who've abandoned them, abused them, or don't have the capacity to care for them. Could be the girl that babysits your kids with no dad at home. Maybe it's the wild little boy in your child's class that keeps getting moved from foster home to foster home. Be the little girl in Africa who has to sell her body for a loaf of bread because she's starving. It could be the the girl in Russia who's having to sell herself because both of her parents died and nobody would take her in. These are people that, because we haven't seen their face, or we just hear these statistics that there's 140-something million of them in the world, it's easy to forget, especially especially in our country. Look, we're wealthy. We've got a lot going on. Our culture is not doing us any favors. I love our country. Um, God bless America. If it weren't for the blessings that we have, the wealth that we have, I wouldn't be able to be sent to an orphanage, okay? I can take the wealth that we have here and go to an orphanage, okay? I love our country. But our country, or our culture, and our affluence... It makes it hard. It makes it more difficult to follow Jesus. I mean, that's just the way it is. We have to work extra hard to follow Jesus because of the influence of our culture. We have to work hard to remember people who don't have as much as we do because of our culture. And and we get it in our head that, well, if they don't have much, they just must not be working hard. I mean, I worked hard and I earned my living and so, you know, I've got money. If they don't have anything, they must just be lazy. And that's not, most of the time, that's not the case, especially with kids. But the people that we don't remember are the ones that God never forgets. The people that we've forgotten are the ones that God always remembers. And so now, here's a question that me and Heather wrestled with, okay? Why is it that God mentions these kids 2,000 times? Why is it that... Why is it that orphans have a unique place in the heart of God? Not that He loves them more, but you can't argue that they don't. There's something unique about the way God sees them and cares for them. You with me? If you read the Bible, you will see that God has a unique heart for the orphan. So why is that? I believe that, the, that an orphan who is not provided for who's not protected, is the easiest target for the enemy. If our enemy, if Satan wants to go bring somebody in, he's going to go after the weak. He's going to go after the one without a voice. He's going to go after someone who's not protected. He's going to go after someone who's not provided for. And that is why 10% of orphans who who age out of the orphanage at uh, at 16... Uh, Sawyer, my my son's orphanage, the one he came from, they age out at 16. And it's, all right, we'll see you. Oh, you want to go to trade school? Cool, we'll send you out here to this trade school and teach you how to, you know, do nothing. 10% of those kids uh, commit suicide in the first three years. 40% of them end up on drugs. 
60% of them are going to be jobless and homeless within five years. In Africa, you've got one in six homes caring for an orphan. In the United States, you've got 450,000 orphans. 25,000 of them are aging out each year. 100,000 of them are ready to be adopted now. And you guys have probably heard this for, before. But if, if one family from every church in the United States adopted an orphan, there wouldn't be any more in the United States. Let's look at God's character and how He feels about the orphans. Let's look at that a little bit more. Turn to Deuteronomy. What time y'all want to eat? Because that timer back there, I think, keeps starting over. Because <laughs> it was like six minutes ago, like ten minutes ago, so don't pay attention to that. Y'all let me know when you're hungry, okay? I didn't eat breakfast, so if you want to rush me, it's cool. Look at chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. For... You laughing at me? For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. He defends the fatherless. Our God, our heavenly Father, is the defender of the fatherless. Go to chapter 14. Look at chapter 14, verse 28 and 29. He's, he's talking um, about giving. And he says, at the end of every three years, I want you to bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You want to be like your heavenly father. He says, provide for the widows and the orphans and the aliens. You want to be like your heavenly father, protect the widows, the fatherless, the aliens. Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. And we're following Jesus. And we look at Jesus and he was a healer. He was making things right. He was feeding people. He was taking care of people. He cared about the orphans and our heavenly father cared and defended and protected the orphans. And our call, if we, you know, Jesus looked at us and said, hey, follow me. Follow me. Come be like me. Do what I do. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one and the same. So follow me. And so if God's heart is this significant for the orphan, and I am following Him, then I have got to end up caring for what he cares about, right? So if I don't end up caring for who he cares about, then somebody could argue that maybe you're not following as closely as you think you are. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if, if he cares about the orphans and I'm following him, then I'm going to end up caring for orphans. If he cares about the orphans and I say I'm following him, but I'm not caring for orphans, then something's not right. Something's not matching up. What keeps us from being 
people who actively care for orphans? I'll give you two things. I don't know you. I don't know your heart, so don't get offended. I'm just going to talk about two things that I found in my own heart. In fact, in fact, I go through seasons where I'm stronger and where I'm weaker. Okay? There are times when Heather and I, our family, we're rocking it. We just, you know, we just adopted a son, and we're like patting ourselves on our backs. Like, hey, we gave up, you know, we, we adopted one, okay? And, and, and then it's like it's easy to kind of go on coast and chill out. But if I love my Heavenly Father, if I'm following Him, I'm going to continue to care who He cares about. So here's, here's what messes me up. And if you identify with this, let God speak to you. First thing, if you're taking notes, you write this down, is my culture. My culture messes me up. I I mentioned this a few minutes ago. But my culture, everything around me, pushes me to be a big, fat me monster. Everything, every marketer, every commercial, I mean, the mall, I walk through the mall and it is screaming, Jono, buy something for you. My culture stores marketers, my affluence helps me be distracted and forget about the fatherless. And what I begin to do is I begin to look at creation to find my identity instead of finding my identity in my creator. Okay? So what do I mean by identity? Real quick, okay? My, my identity... Who? Oh, sorry. Um... I am, okay, I'm John O'Long. Here's my identity. I'm a man. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. I'm a male model. I, uh, I mean, that's, that's me. I think Heather scribbled that in about the male model thing. <laughs> you shouldn't have, honey. So I think of myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a man, but marketers are screaming at me, yeah, you're a man, but you're not the right kind of man. Buy this to wear. Yeah, you're a dad, but you can be a better dad if you get the puppy. So there's all this pressure to define what kind of man I am, what kind of dad I am. There's all kinds of pressure for you to define what kind of mom you are, what kind of woman you are, you know, and, and what you look like and, and all this stuff in our culture screaming at us to be about ourselves, and everybody else around us is doing it. Everybody else in the churches I go that I, I'm a member of and that I attend, you know, the people around me, I mean, we're all end up a lot about ourselves, and, and there's no accountability. And so if my culture, if I, if I give into my culture, then check this out then my priorities do what? They follow suit. And then my priorities become all about me. And so my money gets spent on me. All of it. Because, and, and, and I don't know about you guys. If, if you're not like this, just pray for me. But whenever there's an increase, I carry, I, I carry a wish list around in my head. Nobody else? Okay, y'all pray for me. But, when, you know, we've all had the conversation. You know, if I won the lottery, you know, I'd buy this, I'd buy a house, I'd buy a car. Okay, you're probably never going to. But if I, 
what's more dangerous is what we would do if we get an extra $100 or an extra $500, an extra bonus. Because I've got that all figured out. I've got, you know, if I get 100 bucks, we're going to the mall and we're going to eat nice, you know, if I, on and on and on. I've got my wish list with me. And it is dangerous that whenever Jono gets an increase in money, if the first person I think about is me, something's not right in my heart. Something's got to fix. If my time, if I get some free time, and all my time is spent on me, if, if time opens up and it all goes to me doing something to entertain myself, and I never think about giving time to somebody else, then um, something's wrong in my heart. My looks, my priorities becomes all about my looks and how I look, and I get consumed with myself. And guys, you know, maybe we don't struggle this much, you know, that much with it, you know. Uh, like me, you know, I can look at the guy in the magazine with a six-pack of abs, and, you know, I'm like, dude, I don't care. There's not enough shake weights in the world. I'm never going to be muscular. It's okay. But, you know, girls walk by the magazines at the grocery store and see the perfect woman and, and compare ourselves. And, and our culture has done that to us, and it feeds our selfishness. So, the question is, the question becomes, what change do I need to make? What change is your Heavenly Father pushing you to make? And it's going to be different, okay? The general revelation here, the general calling, the general word, however you want to describe it, from the Lord is that we've all got to care for orphans somehow. None of us are not called to it. None of us are not called to care for widows. None of us are exempt from caring for the poor. None of us are exempt from caring for the refugee. But it can look a lot of different ways. And you've got to get along with your Heavenly Father and figure out how specifically you're going to do it. So what change do you need to make in your time, in your money, in your priorities, in your surroundings to engage with this group of people that God has a unique place in His heart? Let me read one last thing to you. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus is talking and He's explaining some things and He's telling some parables. Parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And here's what He starts explaining. Verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, He'll sit on His throne in His heavenly glory. And all the nations, everybody's going to be gathered before him, and he's going to separate the people from another, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to put the sheep on his right, he's going to put the goats on his left. And the king is going to look at them and he's going to say, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, the sheep, are going to answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, f- and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king's going to reply, I tell you the truth, that whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. When you did it for them, when you fed him, it was as though you were feeding me. When you took care of them, when you took them in, it was just like you were taking me in. And then he's going to look at the goats. Those on his left, and he's going to say, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And then they're going to answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and didn't help you? And he's going to reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. When you didn't care for them, it was as though you were looking at me and you didn't care for me. And then they're going to go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. So we've got the sheep. And if if you don't read that carefully, if you don't think it through, it sounds like that these good works got them there. And that not doing the good works got them, made them sheep. And that doing the good works made them, or not doing the good works made them goats. Doing the good works made them sheep. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, when you're all jumbled up together, the way that I'm going to tell you apart, the way that it's obvious that you follow me, is by the way that you cared for the least of these. The thing that makes it obvious that you weren't mine, because if you were mine, you would have cared about who I cared about. And if you didn't care for the people who I told you 2,000 times to care about, there's no way that you were mine. Because if you were, you would have cared for this group. Make sense? Caring didn't make them a sheep. Not caring didn't make them a goat. But because they were sheep, they cared. Because they were goats, they did their own thing. I want to be a sheep. I want you to be a sheep. Not for me. But for a Heavenly Father. Because caring for these kids, caring for this group of people is worshipful to our Heavenly Father. And yeah, it's tough and it's messy and it's expensive, but so was caring for you. He did it for us. So what do you do? I got a big list, but we we need to wrap it up. You go to our website, thehopeepidemic.us. I can tell you about orphan hosting programs where they can come stay with you for a month. That's how we met our son. You can love, I mean, just 
Fix a meal for an adoptive family. Fix a meal for a foster family. Become respite care where you can keep a foster kid while the family who's been keeping them all week can go out to eat. I, I don't know. But here, here's what I did wrong. We'll close with this. I assumed that I would just not do anything for them until God told me to do something. So I didn't do anything, and I just waited. I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to do something, tell me. And I didn't do anything in the meantime. But what would it be like if instead of assuming that he's not calling us, why don't we just assume that we're supposed to do something and just let him stop us if he wants to? What's the worst that could happen? A kid gets fed or adopted? Let's just assume he's calling us and, and he'll stop you if he, doesn't want, if he wants you to do something different. He's really good at that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you gave to us and you cared for us when we were hard to care for. You loved us when we were hard to love. You have forgiven us when we didn't deserve it. You rescued us. We were orphans. And you adopted us as your sons and daughters. And there is no more visible picture on this earth of what you've done for us than caring for orphans, than adopting orphans, caring for the fatherless. God, would you show everyone in this room what step we need to take to care for the fatherless? That's between us and you. Nobody else can tell us what to do. That's between us and you. And you are the one we care about honoring. I only have one Lord, and it's you. And you're the only one who gets to tell me your will for me. And I'm going to listen to you, and I pray that my friends in here will listen to you and what, what you're saying to them. And, and God, I pray that they will follow you wholeheartedly and give their life to following you. God, we want to be sheep. We want to be your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.